Happy Sunday, baddies. Welcome back to the second episode of Let Them Eat Avocado Toast. It's me again, your elder millennial big sis, Kristen Atherton. Thank you for your infinite patience after the last episode. Between school, my then untreated ADHD, and a three-week trip to Texas for my little sister's wedding festivities, not to mention recording this episode twice before and hating it, then reworking the entire script. Well, let's just say time got away from me. Last episode, we laid down the foundations of personal finance by talking a little bit about what money is and how the system works, that dirty capitalism word, how things are managed, and understanding that things working on a macro scale don't mean that they work for you as an individual on a micro scale. We ended the episode with some homework, and since it's been several weeks and or months, You've had a lot of time to get it done. So did everyone get your money scenario put together? All of your accounts and assets are accounted for? I'm going to spend this episode breaking down all of the different pieces that make up your net worth before we get into details about how to budget your money, which will include ways to help you identify your needs versus your wants. Now, I expect this episode will be a little bit shorter than the last one since it does not include my villain origin story. So let's go ahead, pop the champagne, and get this brunch started. Cheers, bees. Okay, so net worth. What does that mean? First of all, let's remember that we use very stupid words to describe finances and accounting. So whether you're in business or at home, the word gross isn't disgusting, except it's disgusting that you don't get to keep all of it. But gross is meant to say that this is everything you have, like gross sales or gross income. So this is everything you made on your paycheck. But then you have the word net. Net is not referring to tennis or anything fun like that. It's what you have left after you take out all the things that you cannot deny anyone. So for your paycheck, that would be things like taxes, any savings you make, your medical expenses that you pay for through your company. For a business, it'd be things like operating expenses. Now, why is that important? Well, gross tells you what you're starting with, but net tells you what you have left, what you can actually work with. From a budgeting standpoint, personally, I prefer to assume that my income is my net paycheck. It keeps it real. So when we talk about net worth, we're talking about all the things that you own and all the things that you owe added up to give your financial situation a value. So even though you have money coming in and out of your life constantly, your net worth can be a more static look at your financial situation. It's the bigger picture of your financial life. If you have a paycheck coming in, that's great, especially if it's super big. But if you're not working on your net worth, your only source of maintaining your lifestyle then becomes your paycheck, which means that emergencies and other life surprises could be tougher if not impossible, to manage. So when I say static, 
What I mean is it isn't as changing, as dynamic, as fluid as the budgeting your net income discussion will have in a little bit. What makes up your net worth? Well, first, look at what you own. In the accounting world, these are called assets. And in the math world, these are going to be all positive, aka greater than zero. So your assets make your net worth higher. Assets can include a range of things, but generally they fall into one of three main categories. Cash, investments, and property. For the rest of the time that you listen to this podcast, from now until whenever I stop recording in the future, perhaps if ever, if you hear me say cash, I am not actually referring to physical dollar bills and coins, usually. What I mean by cash is usually the money I have available in a bank account, even if it is a savings account. Now, why would that be? Because when I say cash, and when financial people say cash, what we're really talking about is liquidity. Now, if you have not heard that term before, it is the word liquid with I-T-Y added to the end of it. Liquidity. This refers to the level of difficulty required to actually spend the money in that account. A higher liquidity, a more liquid asset is easier to spend. If you are a science nerd like me, we can make parallels to fluid phase concepts and liquidity. So assets that are called cash flow very easily. You can spend it easily. Assets that fall into the investment category are less liquid. I'd like to think of this as like molasses in January. It's sticky. It's slow. It doesn't move very fast. For my science friends, it has a high viscosity. Property, then, is what I like to call a solid or frozen asset, again with the science analogy. In this case, it's much more difficult to turn into something you can spend. For example, a house is an asset that has a value that you can put on your books toward your net worth, but getting that dollar amount out of the house in order to spend it is very difficult to do. It will take months of work and effort to accomplish. You'll have to get your house ready to put on the market. You'll have to hire a realtor. You'll have to list it. You'll have to have showings. You'll have to take offers. You'll have to negotiate. You'll have to have inspections. You'll have to move. And then finally, one day, you'll get to get paid for your house. And then you have to pay off your creditors. And then you finally have money. But that took months. Even in a really high market, that can take months of work and effort. So when I say your net worth is static, it is super true if you have assets with lower liquidity, but probably less true if you have mostly highly liquid assets. And to round out the science analogy, so I've mentioned solid or frozen assets, I've mentioned liquid assets. I told you that when finance people refer to cash, They actually mean liquid assets like bank accounts, not physical currency, physical cash. To me, physical currency is basically a gas or a vapor. In in my mind, it practically doesn't exist because it's not in my accounts, so it's not being counted toward my net worth. It's basically, it's like it's floating away. It's easy to spend and dissipate. 
And so I know everyone is going to love that extension of the analogy as much as me. You are welcome. Anyways, moving on. If you got an app to do the work for you, (laughs) your homework assignment, you probably already have a sense of what your assets might be. Do you have a bank account? Do you have a 401k or 403b at work? Do you have money you haven't transferred over from your bank to like from Venmo or PayPal or some other pay your friends app? Did you download an app like Stash and start investing small amounts of money in stocks like Tesla? Do you own a car? Do you own a house? Those are the typical things that make up the assets that contribute toward your net worth. A fun thing that I like to do when I look at my assets is figure out how much of my net worth is in each of those three categories, cash, investments, and property. So I actually sold my last house in 2020. So my property is not contributing very much toward my net worth these days. I like to keep only a certain amount of money in my bank accounts, preferably not more or less. So the majority of my assets are in investment accounts. That being said, my liquidity is actually fairly low, even though my net worth is not. And I'll talk a little bit more about the difference in liquidity between types of investment accounts when we get into retirement savings, company benefits in another episode. But for now, the main takeaway is that even though I have that money to my name, for the most part, I can't touch it. Again, this is why I say net worth is fairly static read of the pulse of your financial health. So a quick vocab recap, we want to know our net worth, but our assets basically only tell us our growth worth. We now have to look at the other side of the aisle and no, I'm not talking about politics. We have to talk about what we owe to get the full picture. What you owe can also be considered your liabilities if you're talking to an accountant. Now, in the case of net worth calculations, I'm not talking about things like, oh, I have to pay $1,500 in rent every month kind of things that you owe. I'm talking about bigger picture things. Do you have a student loan? Do you have a credit card balance? Do you have a car loan? Do you have a mortgage? The value of those loan accounts has to be added all up and then subtracted from all of the asset values. In other words, these liabilities show up negatively on the balance sheet. If you are just starting out and your parents paid for your college and you didn't open a credit card and go on a shopping spree, you may very well not have any liabilities to your name. But for those of us who are millennials, it is more likely that by now you have something on your books, whether it's a mortgage, car loan, student loan, credit card balance, all of the above. So once you've added up all of the things that you own, your assets, and subtract all of the things that you owe, your liabilities, you will have your net worth. Okay, so how do you know if your net worth is good? What should it be? The value that your net worth should be is entirely up to you. There's not really a set rule on this one. The thing is, though, that there will be a value that will be the right number for you, but it just depends on what your other goals are and why. Here's an example. 
I talked to a guy who wants to retire by 45, and today he's 35. For him to do that, his net worth is going to have to be pretty high because that money is going to have to sustain him for another 40 years. If you're okay with retiring at 65, then your net worth doesn't have to be as high right now, but you'll still want to build it up so that you can live for 20 years after you stop working. Basically, net worth is a read of your health, just like taking your temperature, but it doesn't tell you the whole story, and it's not necessarily the goal you need to set for yourself. Although it is pretty cool to set a net worth goal of 1 million so you can say, I'm a millionaire one day. But otherwise, it's just one piece of the puzzle. Ultimately, net worth is how you measure your wealth. Some people make big paychecks and have little or negative net worth. And some people make small paychecks, but they live within their means, they save, and they have a solid net worth that affords them all of their dreams in life. Your paycheck is important to building your wealth. I'm not going to say it's not, but it is not as important as what you do with it. I told you baddies that we were going to talk about that baddest bee this time. And yes, you can groan if you want to, but it's time to talk about budgeting. Now, I just walked you through network and called it static, which is another science term, (laughs) meaning it's not moving. So the opposite of static in this scientific context would be dynamic in that it's changing constantly. You could also say that it's in flux if you really want to have another scientific term for that. So if net worth is static, budgets are dynamic. They are the ebb and flow of your finances. They are how money flows in and money flows out. See where they came up with that liquid concept? While there is no hard and fast rule as to what your net worth should be, just not negative and preferably continuing to grow over time, there are much more rules surrounding your budget. The biggest rule of budgeting is going to sound so obvious, but it needs to be said Don't spend more than you earn. Let me say it another way for you. You remember how I told you that you should look at your net income, your actual paycheck deposit, not what your employer is telling you that they paid you? That's for this right here. You get a net paycheck before you ever even start budgeting. Don't try to budget off of any other amount. Now, one caveat to this rule is that when you save money, In your 401k or 403b employer retirement account, that money is subtracted from your taxable income on your paycheck, meaning that the IRS will take slightly less out of your paycheck. I can't express this enough, and you'll hear me say it over and over, but if your company matches your contributions to a retirement account, you need to contribute at least as much as they will match you. And the reason is, is that they have already budgeted in their books to pay you that money. They're not going to pay it to your paycheck, to your bank account, but they will pay you that money to that retirement account. So by not putting money in, if they match, 
you are giving that money back to your company and they don't have to pay you as much as they said that they were going to. Now, your net paycheck will be lower. I'm definitely going to try to make sure that your budget fits your loves and your musts as best as I can. But you have to, and here's a phrase from my parents, pay yourself first. If you do not get a company benefit in the form of matching your contributions to a retirement account, but they offer one that is part of your benefits package, um, they offer that associated with the company, I would tell you to start by putting away 5% of your income, gross income, and increase it slowly over time. Again, I'll explain more of the details later, but if you at least start there, you can start to budget with your take-home pay after you do that. If you're saving more than 5% in your 401k or 403b already, this is not an excuse or an invitation to go lower it. Personally, I think 5% is much too low. But if your gross income is something, let's say it's easy for me to talk about like $1,000 per week, $2,000 per paycheck, 5% is $100 per paycheck taken out before the IRS takes taxes out. So if the IRS takes 30% from your taxable income, now that would include federal, state, and city taxes on average across the country, roughly. Basically, if that's the case, you'll bring home $1,400 normally. If you start saving 5% in your 401k, you'll bring home $1,330. So you saved $100. Your paycheck was $70 less than it would have been. So your paycheck will be less, but you're paying yourself first and you're also paying Uncle Sam slightly less as well, which is always a great feeling because 30%, like, dude, go get a job, right? Like, whatever. This is the only time you're going to hear me get super adamant about this because I am for sure wanting to make sure that you, like, to let you have your avocado toast and eat it too. But as far as putting money away pre-tax in a retirement account, if you have it, Mm, suck it up, buttercup. This is this is one of those moments. I'm going to tell you to just put your big girl panties on and fucking deal. I'm sorry if you hate me for that one. I don't like being mean about it. That soapbox aside, your net paycheck is the starting point for your budget. So in net worth, you had your assets. In your budget, your only asset for now is your deposited paycheck. The amount you spend, whether you set up a budget daily, weekly, each paycheck, or each month, it absolutely cannot exceed the amount that gets deposited in your bank account. That is the rule. What happens if it does? You spend more than you earn. You wind up with in the negative sooner or later, or you already are. And now you have debts that you can't pay. Well, that's what we're trying to avoid or pull you out of if you're already there. So for those of you who are currently struggling paycheck to paycheck, this is going to be a really tough problem to manage at first. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, You're going to run into what is known as a cash flow problem. 
And to understand this term a little bit, remember that cash is called liquid and scientifically liquids flow pretty easily. So the term cash flow is referring to the timeline of money coming in and going out. Cash flow issues for budgeting is like saying I take home $4,000 a month, so I can basically spend $140 a day, which sounds great in theory. But if your rent is due on the first day of the month, you need to have last month's earnings go toward this month's rent because you haven't earned this month's earnings yet. And if you spent $140 every day last month, you don't have any money left to pay for this month's rent. Enter budgeting. Budgeting will be tough on you for a while until you can resolve the cash flow issues. But the reason it is so important is that it reminds you what that money is supposed to be used for. For example, the equity on my last house was $100,000. And that is not money that I want to spend anywhere else. I am keeping it set aside so that it will be a down payment on the next house that I purchase. Just because I have $100,000 doesn't mean it's available to go just anywhere. I have a plan for that money. If you are used to that paycheck to paycheck life and cash flow problems are standard operating procedure for you, The idea of looking at dollars in your account, as already spoken for, may feel incredibly foreign. On paper, budgeting is simple and cash flow issues don't exist. In practice, I mean, you guys can figure out that's obviously not true. If you had all the money in the world, you could spend all of that money anywhere you want it. But none of us is Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk buying Twitter, so it's not going to be the case for us. To figure out your own budget, you're going to have to prioritize the things that you spend your money on. Now, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to tell you exactly where you can and cannot, should or should not spend your money. I am going to give you an idea of what constitutes as needs and offer you a look into your values and give you some typical prioritizations. So why do I have to say that you have to prioritize? Well, because in all likelihood, you want to have somewhere to live. You want to at least have enough food to not starve to death. And you probably want to live a little, have some fun. Once you run out of your paycheck, game over. So if you spend all of your paycheck on having fun and you didn't pay your rent, you're going to get kicked out of your apartment. I mean, at least you had fun? YOLO? No, girl, like, be real. Come on. That may seem obvious, but... I mean, what you value is going to be different than what I value. Now, I spend my money on things that I value. So in my budget, buying a pair of shoes that is the same amount of money as my rent payment would mean foregoing some other things that I like to do, like brunch with friends. Now, you may have higher value for Lobotans than I do. So you may take that dive. To this day, I have yet to feel justified making that purchase. 
it is something that I want, but it just doesn't feel worth the cost. So I can't tell you not to buy the shoes because that's stupid of me. I can only tell you that with a finite amount of money, you have to decide where you are going to pull your money away from to make the shoes a reasonable purchase within your budget. If a purchase like shoes is taking away from things you need, like skipping your rent payment so that you can afford them, now you are making a poor financial decision. Why? Because, girl, you have to take care of your needs first. And don't come at me and be like, but I need those shoes. Look, I get it. I personally have been dreaming about the 2016 hand-painted Python scale pumps that ombre from yellow at the toe to blue at the heel by Louboutin for literally the last six years. I don't even care that they are so out of season. I still love them. But those shoes are not a need. They are clearly a very strong want. But how do we tell the difference between what we actually need and what we want? Many of you have at least heard about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if not studied it in one of your courses in high school or college, or maybe at your job. It's easy to Google an image of it if you want to familiarize yourself with it or refresh your memory on it. The hierarchy places human needs in a, obviously, hierarchical pyramid, and the concept that Maslow presented was that humans have needs to function, and some needs are more basic and primal than others. If lower-level needs are not met, a person will be unable to function at a higher level on the hierarchy until they can satisfy that lower-level need. At the lowest level of the hierarchy are physiological needs. These are quite literally the biological needs for humans to survive. Air, food, water, shelter, clothing, warmth, sex, and sleep. After those basic needs are met, safety and security become pretty important. In particular, once physical safety and health are established, other aspects such as financial stability and employment, emotional safety, and societal safety in terms of law and order all become important. Love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization are the remaining needs on the hierarchy. So when you are creating your budget, your priorities should be to first meet the physiological needs. I know I said I wouldn't prioritize your list for you, but if you don't take care of your physiological needs first, you may find yourself unable to do anything else. This would include expenses like your mortgage or rent, electricity and gas, water and sewage, waste management, and groceries. These expenses should be at the top of your budget. From there, priorities should be on the next level of needs, which was safety. You need a job, so perhaps you have to pay for a car and gas or public transportation in order to get to your job. You struggle with anxiety, so maybe you need to pay for a therapist and some medication. You work from home some days, so you need to pay for internet access and a cell phone plan. 
In this level of priorities, you should make sure that you are spending your money on the things that help you to continue to make money in the first place or that keep you healthy and operating more optimally mentally and physically. Once you have those needs at the top of your budget list, figure out how much you have left over. If you are already feeling like the outlook is bleak, you're going to have to reassess the things you pay for in your needs and find ways to lower the costs there. Fear not, that is another episode. One of the biggest pieces of financial advice out there is to ensure that your housing cost does not exceed a third of your gross salary. I personally hate this rule. Why? Well, remember from earlier, I don't think anything should be based on your gross salary. Also, here's a really quick math lesson. If the government is taking a 30% haircut off your gross salary and you are spending 33% of your gross salary on housing, that means that of what you're taking home, you're spending about half of it to pay for housing. That feels really high to me, astronomically so, since you still have to pay for utilities, food, transportation, and you know, then all the fun things. So I personally strive to stay around a third of my take-home pay for my housing as my cap. If you are looking to limit this expenditure, your easiest way to do that is to move somewhere cheaper, (coughs) the suburbs, (coughs) Texas, (coughs) or get a roommate or both. Perhaps if your grocery bill is high, you might need to start getting used to buying non-organic produce, finding grocery stores that are lower priced for the same or similar goods. So perhaps not buying seafood and whole foods that gets flown into a landlocked state every week. Um, maybe that whole food seafood run is for birthdays and holiday treats and you have to stick to the Kroger's and the HEBs that you're used to. I mean, you can't take the Texas out of the grill, right? What's next? If you have money left over after your needs are met, you can go shopping, right? <laughs> no, wrong, not yet. Not, not, not yet, girls. After you take care of your needs, you need to start focusing on your savings. Yep, you have to budget it in. Remember, pay yourself first. You're paying all those needs because they're an investment in your ability to live right this second. Then you're paying yourself for your future needs. Because let's say you have dementia at 75. How are you going to make money to pay to get taken care of for dementia? If you think retirement is ages away and you can figure that out later, okay, fine. I mean, we'll talk about time value money later on. And I won't waste your time now telling you that you're absolutely wrong today. You'll just be compoundedly wrong tomorrow. But let's talk about maybe more near term. So what should you be saving for? Well, lots of things. Do you remember the old cash flow problem we talked about earlier? What if you get some random expenditure that pops up, like your dog gets sick? That's not in the budget. Like your dog isn't supposed to get sick every month. Or you have a haircut and a color, but you go every two months. So again, not a monthly budget item. There's a category of budgeting called irregular expenditures which are, you may have guessed it, things that you pay for, not on the regular. So how do you budget for those? Well, that is called a savings. Ouch, you heard it here first, folks. 
Just because that money is in your account doesn't mean you get to go and spend it. You're keeping it in place so that you can get your hair cut next month or so that your dog can get his teeth cleaned by the vet in three months from now. Or, you know, to pay your car insurance once every six months because it's cheaper that way. Yes, really. You have to have a stack of cash that's there waiting for you so that when these things pop up, you can pay them. How do you budget for that? A good rule of thumb for a starting point is to sock away about 5% of your regular expenditures so far to hold for irregular expenditures. So if you pay $2,000 a month for rent, utilities, and other needs, you need to save $100 each month for irregular expenditures. Next, here's the fun part. You have to pay down debt and save for your rainy day fund. If you have set debt payments, which I'm not talking about a mortgage because that's covered in housing, but things like student loans and credit card balances, these kinds of things with a monthly expense, that should be in the monthly budget. So if you have something like credit card debt to get rid of, you are going to need to budget in at least the minimum payments. But I would strongly suggest not letting one month go by that you don't pay the minimum payment the interest accumulated from last month, and some payment down on the actual debt if you can. Now, we'll talk about credit cards in next week's episode a little bit more, but for now, you're going to want to budget in paying off those cards if you have debt accumulated. Now, if you are paying off debt, it may seem really daunting to try to save at the same time, but you're going to need to try, and here's why. Not only will you have irregular expenditures to deal with, meaning you're going to need a cushion of cash available to soak up some of those irregularities, you will also have shit happen. What kind of shit? It could literally be anything. Someone hits your car while you're sitting at a stoplight looking down at the radio about to turn the music up because you like the song. You fall and break a bone. You have a crazy ex-boyfriend requiring you to hire a lawyer to help you file a restraining order against his ass. You miss a flight because the four-hour car ride from Cape Cod to JFK Airport took you eight hours thanks to holiday traffic, and now you have to pay for a hotel for that night. Literally anything. All true stories, not all mine. Your company could get bought out and you lose your job. I mean, now you have to look for new jobs and you don't have an income coming in. In an MSN Money article from like 2008, Suze Orman used a bucket analogy to describe some of this stuff. Now, I don't remember the analogy all too well because it was like 14 years ago, but the main idea I took away from that article is that you should be socking away a little bit each month with the gold to build up that cushion. How big should that cushion be? The answer is here is as big as you want, but at least six months of living expenditures. So hear me out on that. Six months is a lot, right? You're doing all this budgeting. So you're finding out what it costs to keep you sheltered, fed and clothed every month. And once you get your budget situated, you'll be able to know how much more you spend on fun money also. Once you know how much you cost to live after this budget, 
you'll then be able to get that in your head as a goal while you keep building your savings cushion or bucket for Sue's to make sure that if your job fell out tomorrow, you could still make it for six months while you search for a job, apply, interview, etc. Of course, if you lose your job, you should also be cutting back on expenditures, maybe not so much fun money, maybe eating at home, that kind of thing. But you won't be in dire straits immediately just because your paycheck stopped. A great way to encourage yourself is to set month by month goals. So every time you save another month's worth of emergency money, you celebrate a little more. Let's say you cost $3,000 a month to live and you save $3,000. That's one month. Once you get up to 6,000, okay, celebrate again. You've got two months of savings in your savings account, you know, and then eventually you get up to $18,000. Now you might say that's impossible, but if you work on pulling that together and you get that $18,000, now you can be like, wahoo, I have six months worth of living expenditures sitting in my bank account. Look at me go, look at me go. I'm amazing. So celebrate those little milestones until you get up to that six month mark. And then from there, I don't know, maybe sit around and say, you know, I'd rather be worth $4,000 a month. So to get to that point, I'm gonna have to go from 18,000 to 24,000. So let me keep saving and just keep moving from there. All right, so those are your immediate savings goals, and that's why you should try to sock away as much as you can stand until you at least get to those goals. I would like to offer, again, a starting goal of paying a similar 5% toward credit card debt and savings as you save toward your regular expenditures. So if the 5% for regular expenditures each month is $100, put $50 toward paying off your credit card and $50 toward your six-month savings. A trick to help you keep your savings separate, get a different account set up altogether. This could be as simple as moving money from your checking account to your savings account and knowing that your savings account is for the I lost my job type of emergencies. You could also set up an automatic transfer to coincide with your paycheck coming in so that money gets shifted to the savings at the same time as you get paid, literally automatically. Okay, so we've talked about needs paying down debt, saving for a rainy day. Does your brain hurt yet? We haven't even talked about the fun money. Well, this is where the prioritization is key. First of all, you got to ask yourself, do you still even have money left? Depending on how much you have left over, some of you are going to have to prioritize a lot more than others. And this is where it pays to be creative. This is also where everyone gets lost because all of that shit I just talked about isn't anywhere close to being fuck it, you only live once mentality. I know it's not, but let's be real with ourselves. You cannot afford to have that mentality until you have some of that cushion built up. You don't even have to have your retirement money ready to go right this second to be able to do it, but you should have a plan implemented and a solid savings cushion before you even think about flexing your budget. If the robot financial writers were putting this together, this is about where they would stop. You have your needs met, you're saving money, you're paying down debt, done. You budgeted. Don't spend more than you earn. Done. You're budgeting. 
but we're not robots, right? We're humans and there are things that we want to do. Our hearts and minds need other things like friend time, adventure, beauty, love, art. We pay for things like Netflix, avocado toast, a mani-pedi. We spend money on things that make us happy or things that fill a void. We're out and about. Our budget needs need to include those things as well. So this is where your values and your wants come in. You need to make sure you're not going to go crazy while you're on a strict financial detox. So you have to have something that takes the edge off of this razor sharp regimen a little bit. What that is will be up to you. Just like when you first start a weight loss program, you will struggle under the new regimen trying to make it work. And you know it's helping, but does it fit your lifestyle? It's the same thing with budgeting. This is going to feel uncomfortable. It is not going to be easy. So you have to find ways to make sure that it works in your life. And if you add in those little things, you can create a mindset and a lifestyle change that eventually becomes the new normal. Once that happens, you'll find yourself able to relax the reins just a little, but partly because you won't be as runaway as you were before. Budgeting and starting a savings program is just like trying to get your weight under control. It's a shitty ass process and starts off feeling incredibly threadbare. But after a little while, it gets easier and you will get more motivated because you will start to see results. If you've allowed yourself a lifestyle of indulgence and excess, it's going to be hard to get it back in line, but it will be worth it. My favorite thing to say is that if you can, live like you're in college for as long as possible. Because that lifestyle is so much cheaper than what we end up doing with ourselves as adults. And reining it back in later is so much harder than just already being there. Now, if you're going to give me the lip and tell me, OMG, I can't do math. Kristen, this is hard. I don't like it. I know you bees have counted calories once in your life. All right. So don't give me that much lip. It's not that hard. You have counted calories. You have subtracted, you know, calories in has to be less than calories out in order to lose weight and vice versa. If you're a man listening to this and you've decided to join us for brunch today, welcome. You have done simple math already. You know how to do this. You just don't like this application. I get it. But again, it will be worth it. So quick reminder, whatever you do, your fund money is only the amount you have left after all the needs, debt, and savings are paid for. Also, since you put money away to save and paid toward your debts, you have no obligation to save further. You've paid yourself first, so you can spend that remaining paycheck elsewhere if you so choose. My money hoarder mentality is kicking in here, though. And I will just leave you with this snippet. If you don't spend it, you can save it faster. If this is where you want to argue that you need certain things, I literally don't care. You have whatever is left over after you paid for your physiological needs and your safety net. If you need something else now, girl, go get it. If you don't have money for it now because all those things took up all your paycheck, 
You're going to have to find a way to either cut down on your costs or you're going to have to save for a few months before you go get what you absolutely need, like that purse or those shoes. But if you're cutting into your actual physiological needs to get something that you just strongly want, you're making an unhealthy decision for your finances. Value your well-being first and then prioritize from there. I'll also leave you with a caveat here. I know that not everyone is frivolous and looking at shoes and purses and that you have a basic understanding of the fact that that is clearly not something that's going to keep you alive. I'm aware. I'm making that this way for simplification purposes so you understand what I'm saying, but I do not think that you guys are that frivolous and petty with your cash. But if you want to be, fuck it, right? It's your life. Again, you have your avocado toast and eat it too. If it's purses, if it's shoes, or if it's getting your kid into college. I mean, all of the things really don't matter which way you go with that. But you have to recognize that getting your kid into college is still going to be a strong one compared to making sure that they have their physiological needs taken care of right now. So caveat aside, I'll say it again, just value your well-being first and those of your family if you are taking care of multiple people on your paycheck. And then you get to prioritize from there. In the next episode, we will talk all about credit because it makes up a huge part of the system we live in. Like I said last episode, everything about personal finance is a game and credit is absolutely no different. What is credit? Why is it important? What do you need to do to improve your credit score? Why do you want to improve your credit score? We'll dig in deeper into this sham of a system so you can learn how to make it work for you. You can't win the game if you don't know the rules and the best strategies to win. So until next time, ladies, may your mimosas and bank accounts always be bottomless. Cheers. This has been an episode of Let Them Eat Avocado Toast, brought to you by CamX LLC. All sources used for this podcast are available upon request. All opinions expressed in this podcast are the express opinions of the host and do not represent the opinions of CamX LLC. All music used in stock music from GarageBand by Apple. Kristen Atherton and CamX LLC remind you to please drink responsibly.